Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, and today's work-in is all about living with mental health disorders. Hello, and welcome to The Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimise your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Before we start, I wanted to share something both Stephen and I support the day after World Mental Health Day on Sunday, October 11th, we invite you to join us for a global day of no social media. We call it Empty Day, only to conjure an image of a social feed completely empty, just imagine. There's nothing to do other than be yourself, there for your friends, in real life and your family too, instead of Facebook. So join us for some social media silence and take that time to connect IRL instead. Today, we're joined by a leading mental health advocate and one of our favourite customers, Mr. Stephen Fry. We'll be discussing his experiences living with mental health conditions and how we can help others who might be suffering too. It's an insightful conversation, packed full of personal stories and deep insights like you'd expect from one of the world's favourite creative talents. So, without further ado... Obviously, you are globally well recognised as one of the leading uh, activists. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the leading mad people. Exactly, <laughs> couldn't have said it better. No, but uh, you know, uh, one of the first people to come out and, and talk openly about it, being mm. honest about it, pioneering. You know, the comfort of talking about mental health like physical health. Now, I would love to know um, if you wouldn't mind giving us a brief overview of your own experiences with your your own mental health and mm. how that's developed over the course of your life. So, you know, your life story. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, um, from almost the earliest time that my parents can remember, I was a hyperactive child and I think had the condition been as readily diagnosed as it is now, I would have been... I would have been diagnosed with uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, and probably given uh, Ritalin or something similar. And by the time I got to 13 or 14, as I think is quite common, I became pretty much unmanageable and was expelled from schools. And But in the period before being expelled, my parents had, had sent me to a psychiatrist. And he was a classic Harley Street thing with a huge Mont Blanc pen about that big and, um, you know, three-piece suit and a gold chain. In fact, he was a Tory MP. He was a, he was a health minister as well. So I was just weird. But I only found out years later that he wrote on a piece of paper, which he sent to my parents and to my housemaster at school, uh, bipolar, question mark? Which was a very uh, interesting diagnosis in those days. In those days, bipolar wasn't used very often. Most people said manic depression in there. But so he saw that there was something in my behavior because talking to me, he realized that I not only was very disruptive and manic in in the schoolroom, but also that I had periods of extreme distress and uh, closed down and uh, couldn't be addressed or talked to. And then... Oh, it all went so bad in so many schools that I ended up in prison. I mean, because I had a hint of kleptomania, which is not a diagnosed condition. But I, I, uh, I made free with credit cards for a while. Anyway, I ended up in prison, and I can laugh about it now. But obviously, it was pretty tough when I was seventeen, eighteen, and got away with two two years probation, and then settled down to work really, really hard to get into university, which I was desperate to do because I'd thrown away so much of my schooling, and I 
got into university, I got a scholarship to Cambridge and, and there I met some extraordinary people and was fortunate to join the Footlights and have a career in show business. And I had discovered how to work and to focus and to concentrate. And I was so, I kind of had periods of mania. And I can remember my friend Hugh telling me quite early on when we were, we were shooting a, uh, one of our first television things that the director had come to him and said, is, is Stephen on drugs? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in those days, I absolutely wasn't. I didn't think I'd ever taken a drug in my life apart from aspirin. And I didn't realize it was odd, but I spoke incredibly fast and was just bounced off the walls. And it seemed to, you know, if I was unwell, it was just a mania because the depression was seemed a fair way off. But then towards my 30s, it, it started to change. When you start to get a mood change and you don't know what it is, you don't know that it's an illness, you reach out for something that, that can alter it. And things came to a head in 1995 and I was in a West End play and I was just suddenly I, one Sunday I was in a state of complete emptiness. It was as if, as if I drained of all energy and all feeling and all hope and all possibility. And and I I tried, <laughs> tried in a lock-up garage to start the car and make myself make myself go away through the exhaust fumes, but uh, I hadn't realized that it was not the wrong, it was the wrong, the catalytic converter was such that it would have taken a week of breathing in the fumes or something. Anyway, so I drove to Europe and ran out of a play and there was a big scandal. And anyway, it meant that I concentrated on doctors and was given for the first time a proper diagnosis of bipolar disorder and some medication. And the medication started to work and, and I started to learn about this condition and it went and, and it came back and it went and it came back. And I agreed sometime later to, to make a film about, you know, the secret life of the manic depressive, it was called, in order to find out more about it and to share what I'd learned because it struck me that it, it was a big subject and that it had been so taboo. Rather in the same way that it's easy for someone in show business or it was easy for someone in show business to come out as gay in the eighties as I did. Um, much easier than somebody who was, say, a teacher or a, a librarian or a, or a spot welder or a waiter, whatever, or much harder for them. But actors, you know, no one's surprised. Similarly, no one's surprised that actors are a bit, you know, loopy in the mind as well. So we can get away with it. It's, it's one of the privileges of the artistic license, I suppose you might say. So it struck me as, as being a kind of necessary thing to, to talk about. And, uh, and, and it did have a... Um, a remarkable effect, actually. I mean, just simply, uh, doctors would, would tell me that then kind of people would come to them presenting with depression and the doctors often just gave them an antidepressive without even asking them if they ever had a, an up cycle. So that's sort of roughly my history. And I stayed on, on medication for some time. And then I went off it about four years ago because I don't know, as I got married, um, I was taking more exercise and looking after myself. And I won't claim that these are solutions. If they were, it would be the easiest um, illness in the world to cure. And, and it isn't. And it did. There is a cure as such. There's just ways of managing it. For me, this has helped enormously. But I still have the medicine on standby, should I need it. And occasionally I go off into kind of manic cycles where I get a bit kind of weird and I have to take these. And I do have times when I'm not feeling happy. But generally speaking, I'm in a lucky cycle at the moment and I drink almost nothing now I mean very rarely drink and that helps too you say you don't think those things you know necessarily um you know they're not the cures obviously because there is no cure-all but in a very similar way that 
you can't just have a healthy body. You can try your best and you mm. can have great wellness principles to be fit and look after your health span and lifespan for your body, but it won't stop you getting cancer. That's just bad yeah. luck. That's that's yeah. what can happen. Same yeah. thing, I think, with, with mental health. If you don't care about yourself, Daniel, if, if you've given up on yourself or you hate yourself, then you, you naturally let your body slide as well as your mind. And it is easier to deal with the body. If you start caring about yourself, then it's much easier to say, okay, I'm going to stop poisoning my liver with, you know, all that vodka. I'm going to stop poisoning my nose and brain with all that uh, cocaine. I, I'm going to walk my body a bit more. I'm going to reward it a bit because I like myself a bit more. That's much easier to do than to, than to turn inwards in your mind and reward your mind, as it were. But I'm always very, very leery about saying this is a cure because for some people I have the disease so much more seriously than I do. And, and I wouldn't want lightly to suggest that all you have to do is do what I do and go for a walk every day and it'll be fine because that's going back to the old days of people saying, why don't you just walk it off as if it isn't a real illness? And the thing, thing I always want to say is that there are two sort of opposite points of view you have to have about a mental illness like bipolar disorder. And one is you must never underestimate its seriousness. It is, It has what doctors call a high morbidity. In other words, it can lead to serious ill health and death. And we, we all know the suicide figures are very alarming uh, in this country and around the world. So it's not something to take lightly. It, it can cause people to spin out of their family and their work and go right down onto street level where, where, where they become come really at the very, very end of everything that's hopeful in life. So you mustn't forget that that's a truth about mental illness. On the other hand, you must also bear in mind that some of the most remarkable and fulfilled and inspiring people who've ever lived have had mental illness. So those two things are true. So, you know, my, my great hero is, is, is Kay Redfield Jameson, who's this extraordinary American woman who wrote the book, uh, An Unquiet Mind, who was extremely bipolar and she's the professor of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University which is the leading medical uh, hospital in in America as well as a professor of comparative literature at St Andrews University in, in Scotland um, she has the most compendious mind and yet she also has the highest level of lithium as a dose every day so she has to have her kidneys checked so they don't explode because it's you know almost toxic levels she has to have to keep her being able to, to, to live any kind of normal life so she's extremely Ill, but she achieves astounding things and so it's bearing those two things in mind is is, is i think important it's um, not a death sentence but it, 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 it is serious no absolutely i think something really uh helpful and i certainly know that people would find it helpful to hear from you is obviously so estimated that one in four people suffer from a mental health disorder in their time but if you look at the other side of that figure three and four that don't are probably going to know someone live with someone have someone close to them that does and won't necessarily be able to naturally relate to the right way to deal with it the right way to communicate with them the right way to be helpful so do you have any uh, insights or experience from people in your life uh, that have have helped you what has worked what hasn't worked what's felt like the right approach and what hasn't it's tricky because, you know, almost by definition, if, if, if you're having a, a real sort of episode, you are unreasonable. So sometimes even the most delicate and tactful question can be irritating to one. But generally speaking, don't look for a reason in the sense of, are you depressed because, you know, this, that or the other. Depression isn't that simple. It, it's lowered down on you. It, it is depressed. It's pushed down onto your mind like a great force, like weather. I, I 
said this, you know, often it is like the weather in as much as it's completely real, but also that it's not one's fault. One didn't create it oneself and that it isn't permanent. The best thing if, if you see someone's in miserable and so on is not to shun them, but to, just to say, listen, I, I can't possibly understand what's going on with you, but if there's anything I can do to help, if, if there's anything that would be useful, let me know. If you want to be let, let alone, I won't be offended. If you want me to sit with you, I'll, I'll happily do that. Just, just let me know if you can. And that's, that's as kind and good a thing as you can say to someone. Try not to be the doctor and says, I'll cheer them up because you know, you'll feel a failure for doing it. They'll feel pressure to try and be cheerful just for your sake when in fact, it's going against what the, the natural flow of the illness. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's a sensitivity thing, really. And of I'm course. sure most people are good at it. I would end with the most important thing, which is I don't have a system because there is no system and it, it's different every day. And I wouldn't want to lay down a grid of behavior for anybody because it wouldn't work. You'd try it and then think this didn't work for me. What's wrong with me? Or you might think, or you might think what's wrong with Stephen. Uh, and they'd both be, <laughs> you'd both be right to, to do it. And then that would be a mistake because there is no system. There is none. And far from that being a, a frightening thing it, it means you are the captain of your soul you know the, the, the governor of your of your destiny <laughs> to misquote w e henley so um there's no wrong way of going about it and each day is a new day that you can restart and recalibrate and uh, you know you've lost nothing if you had a miserable day yesterday you've lost nothing by it because you you might have a better one today and and i i, I wish i could say this is what you do and follow my advice but you know that sort of way of there's no handbook so but, but be cheered by that. And I hope everybody, you know, uh, is getting through this as cheerfully and uh, as they can and, um, and finding good things, both with those they're sharing their seclusion with, or if they're on their own, finding good things about themselves. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at your heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how healthy your brain is, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain health to get your free score from one to 100. See you next time.